Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm founder at the Miller Law Group, director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict, and I'm on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Elise Goldweber. She is a founder of the uh, of her own firm, Goldweber Epstein, and she's got more than 30 years of experience and expertise in matrimonial law, family law, and dissolution of business partnerships, which I think is pretty much the same thing. Her previous experience is as an attorney for the SEC's Division of Enforcement, United States Department of Justice, among other things. Welcome, Elise. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Pleasure to be here. So, you know, we talked in advance a little bit about about children and divorce, and I mm-hmm. think a lot of, uh, of of my clients, and I'm sure yours as well, sort of wonder about what parenting plans can look like and how they can be creative. And, um, you know, what are your thoughts about that? Do you think it's a good idea to work on a creative plan, or should it be sort of the same old thing that other people do? No, I, I think you're totally right, that we really, we really, really want it to be creative, because we want it to be the best plan for those specific children. And then it also depends so much, the parenting plan, whether it's successful or not, on all these other circumstances. Can the parents get along at least well enough so that the transitions go through without, you know, terrible fights or anything? You know, are the rules kind of substantially equivalent in both houses? How far do they live from each other? Yeah, so I think that let's break it down a little bit into the various different pieces. Because one thing is, I think that uh, people wonder, do they have to put a parenting plan, you know, where the kids are going to be on what days and how the holidays are and exactly what time the transition from mom to dad or dad to mom is going to be or mom to mom or dad to dad, whatever the parenting situation is in the family. And so is that something that people have to specify in their in well, the settlements? Well, what we try to do is to explain to the clients that the parents can do whatever they want after they sign the agreement, but the agreement is the default position. So that if they can't agree, they'll have some place to right. go. Right. So we work hard on making the default position, try to be as fair as it can be, but they don't have to abide by that if something else changes. No. So what do you mean by fair in this context, Elise? Because, you know, I think fair is the F word in some ways. Yeah. It's really hard. You know, everybody wants something that's fair, but they just can't agree on what that is. So how do you determine what's fair in the context of parenting? I think it's very, very difficult. It's one of the dilemmas that the lawyers who are dealing with custody have to deal with all the time. I think the way we can get at least what myself and my partner considered to be fair is to try to see what the children would want and what would make them, you know, be in the best possible position to visit and to have access with either parent. 
So you think the children's view of, because I mean, sometimes it's a, it's a tough thing because some kids. You can't have them, they can't run the whole thing. Right. And that's a thin line because they do want to. And now we have cases where there are attorneys specifically appointed for children in cases. And you know, the, the kind of the law of that is you're supposed to listen to what the children want, even if you don't think it's in their best interest. It's not a best interest choice. So that's very difficult. All right. So I think you said a lot there. So just let's interpret it for people okay. who, who, who don't have matrimonial law background. So the first thing I think that you said is that a determination, if a court's making a determination of a parenting plan. That- Not all the time. I would say, in the in, unless we're talking about cases that really go to trial, and of course the judges have input along during various settlement conferences, but it's usually the lawyers and the clients who work on the parenting agreement. Right. And 20 years ago, we never had a parenting agreement that was 50 50, or if we did, it was one in a million. Now, that's sort of changed, and there are a lot of specifically men who want to have 50-50, which has not been historically what they've received from the courts in the state of New York. Yes, and some states have, I think, a default sort of presumption of 50-50, but what's New York's law on that? Okay, like Florida has a default, and the default provision is 50-50. We don't have that. We are not a 50-50 state, although there are court cases that hold that 50-50 is the appropriate access schedule in this specific case. And it's kind of an interesting thing because, I mean, families are different, right? I mean, right. you know, every family is a snowflake, but mm-hmm. really there are families that have had involvement, a, a sort of deep involvement by both parents in raising the children when the family was intact. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that situation might be really different where you have a more traditional division of labor and one parent is working long hours and, and primarily the breadwinner and the other parent is primarily home with the children. Mm-hmm. And And so if we have... You know, a situation where, say, there's a listener thinking, well, you know, we've both been really involved. How could it possibly be anything other than 50-50 or, you know, the reverse where you have a situation where you have, you know, some parents who work so long hours that they sometimes wouldn't see the children in a day, you know, thinking, well, you know what, I want 50-50. You know, those are, I think, tricky kinds of situations. What do you think? And what's your experience with coming up with good solutions in those situations? Well, I I think it is very hard to have 50-50 because it means the children, you know, really, I think, have to be committed to that, to really work. And I think on some level, not that they have to be friends, but they have to get along so that the transitions go through and they're not fraught with problems. And um, the 50-50 cases, I think, sort of point out themselves to you because you got to remember that in some of these cases, we're going to have the benefit of an attorney for the children who will be able to come back to us and let us know how it's all working. Well, what about when the children don't want to do it? Well, then it's very, very hard. Then you'd have to kind of like examine the situation because usually in my experience in the the 50-50, 
although children may say they don't want it, once it happens, it's okay. So we have to see if there are real reasons they don't want the 50-50, or is it something we could work out for them? Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing. I think some of the hardest situations are when the kids don't want to leave their home. That's correct. And and the advantage of whatever parent stays in the home is a huge advantage. Yeah. And and it's really tough when I mean I little kids you know usually don't exhibit a, a resistance to going no. back and forth, but older children often do. Right. I'm surprised, I will say we were talking about it in the office the other day, that as many fifty fifties work out as as they do. Because I think it is a lot of moving for everyone. So what do you think is the most successful? You know, 50-50 could look like Monday with mom, Tuesday with dad, Wednesday with mom. Or it could look like a week on, a week off, or, you know, big chunks. Or the week could be divided up in some other way, you know, with Monday and Tuesday being with one parent, Wednesday and Thursday with the other, and alternate weekends from Friday to Monday. Do you have a any comments about I have a personal prejudice, and I, and I tell the clients it's my personal prejudice. And, you know, we're going to try to find the best solution for this specific family and these specific children and parents. But I like when we divide the week. I don't like a week on and a week off. I like when Monday and Tuesday go to one parent, Wednesday and Thursday go to the other, and then the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday rotate between mm-hmm. the two parents. How come? Why do you like Because I think it gives both you know where you're going every day. So it's not like the children have to decide something. Like some people like these plans where, you know, it's like a moving schedule. So one week it'll be Monday and Tuesday, and the next week it'll be Tuesday and Wednesday. I think those are very hard for the children. I want the children, at least I think it works the best, to know exactly where they're going every day of the week. I'm Catherine Miller. You're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WBOX 1460 AM in Westchester County every other Wednesday from 530. And we're also available as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts and on the podcast website, divorcedialogues.com. And I'm talking today with matrimonial attorney Elise Goldweber. She's the founder of Goldweber Epstein. And we're talking about parenting plans and children in divorce. And Elise, what brought you into matrimonial law? Well, how'd you end up working in this field? Just by happen chance, because I had worked for the government for a number of years, and then the first time I went into private practice, in that I went into private practice, let's say in June, and of July 1980, they passed equitable distribution. And I went, oh, gee, everyone's starting out at the same place. I'm going to learn that. That's really how it happened, because I was always a litigator, but I hadn't done divorce work. But it's interesting. I think what you said in in the earlier part of the show is that mostly we don't litigate in custody cases and in parenting plans. Mostly people are able, with help, to work that out. Thank God. Yeah. We have very, very bad cases that do go to trial on custody. And when I say they're very, very bad, is there's so much difference and and bad feelings between the parents to have to have a trial on custody because the differences between what the court just gives as a normal vanilla access period, which would be, in my opinion, five out of 14 days. I mean, 50-50 is only seven out of 14 days. So there's not such a huge difference between the results. Do you ever work with parent coordinators? All the time. 
So would you be willing to tell us what a parent coordinator does and why you think it's a good idea? Well, a parent coordinator, at least in my experience, has come in sort of at the tail end of the divorce proceedings with the lawyers and is there when the parents disagree because we don't want people rushing back to court. We think if there's one parent coordinator, it should be a lot more economical for both of the parents and we're trying to move them into less of an adversarial situation. And is the parent coordinator a lawyer, mental health professional? Well, you know, there are no rules and regs for parent coordinators. So sometimes they're social workers, sometimes they're lawyers. I mean, it just depends. So they're there to help the parents make decisions. That's right. And some people do better with a social worker type. Other people do better with the lawyer model. So what do you think are some of the things that people should keep in mind when they're thinking about coming up with a parenting plan for their children and when the family divorces? I think, you know, I think it's really, really hard because the first big adjustment everyone has to make is there's going to be a certain period of time that you don't see your children. And that's different than in an intact family because even if you come home at 10 o'clock at night, you can go in their room, kiss them goodnight, even if they're sleeping, whatever. But I think it's hard. I think it's very, very hard for parents to realize that they're going to miss at least 40% of the time with their child. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that one of the most painful things is is missing that time, especially holiday time. And if, yes. and if you're not the parent who chose this, it can feel incredibly unfair. Right. Now, you do always hear about these cases where that people have the holidays together and, you know, everyone gets along perfectly. I've found, at least in my experience, that those don't normally happen at the beginning of the divorce. But years out, once people all get comfortable with it and are able to go forward with their lives. That's great if you can do it. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I think maybe the first year they can do it too because they're still in the process of figuring out what that means. But I think that it's, you know, I always tell people I'm not writing an agreement that requires you to do it. No contractual requirement to celebrate Thanksgiving together. You know, it's just not a good idea. What do you think about that? But it is good if everyone can do it. And we see a big softening in everyone's attitude once, I mean, just from afar we see this, but once they're grandchildren. Yeah. But unfortunately, it takes a while. It takes a long time. (laughs) It takes a while. (laughs) So, Elise Goldweber, I wonder if you could tell us about the attorney for the child. We've talked a little bit about the attorney for the child. Mm-hmm. What is that person? What is their role? And how do they impact these negotiations? Well, okay. I think if you get a really good attorney for the child, and there's a list and there's a whole procedure in each of the different counties to get on the list so that the clients or the court can appoint you. What it used to happen Years ago, when it all first started, it was much more, it was sort of sub rosa, though, just below the surface, more what the the attorney for the child thought. Now, under the law, the attorney for the child is expected to represent the child's position, whether the attorney for the child thinks that's in the best interest or not. 
Yeah, so, so I think what you're saying different position. Yeah, I think what you're saying is, uh, and my understanding is, is that in the old days it was more like a guardian ad litem kind thing. Right. So, so the right. attorney Thank would substitute. You her view of what was best for the children, for the children's view. Right. And, and now it's just a regular kind of attorney-client relationship. Right, just like you're a regular attorney. Right, and you make an argument, the attorney for the child makes the argument that the child tells her to do, to make. Right, absolutely. You know, regardless of whether or not the mm-hmm. attorney for the child agrees that that's Correct. best. Correct, and that's very difficult sometimes. Yeah, because I would imagine, just to go back to those cases we were talking about, when the children do not want to leave Correct. home, you know, then, then they're arguing to never leave home, never see their dad or their mom. I and, know. And that's, none of us who are parents think that's a good thing in most in most circumstances. No, right, right, right. So do you think there's anything that, you know, I think that a lot of parents, when they're faced with dealing with an attorney for their child, are trying to get that person sort of on their side. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But everyone realizes by the second time you meet them that that's not going to go down that way. So, yeah, you know, but um, some of the children, you know, are, you know, it depends. Each child's different and it depends how honest the child is. And does the child really trust you? And will they tell you really, really what they want? Yeah. You know, it's hard. It's hard because it's just hard to kind of discern the the, the correct path correct. To, to take. And and most of the children just want it to be done. Yeah. You know, they want the divorce over. Everyone thinks it'll be better once it's over. I'm Catherine Miller. You're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 530 and also available as a podcast. And I'm talking today with Elise Goldweber about children and divorce. And Elise, if people are interested in learning more about you or or getting in touch with you, how could they best do that? Well, we have a website or they can just call our office in Manhattan. Would you just will you be willing to say what the website is and the phone number? Yes, it's uh, a gold. You just look up Goldweber Epstein LLP and the whole website, and it tells all about us and what we do, and answers a lot of frequently asked questions about divorce. Two one two three five five four one four nine. Great, thank you. So what do you think about holidays and divorce? You know, because I think that everybody thinks, well, we're going to have to alternate Christmas or Thanksgiving or, you mm-hmm. know, the Jewish holidays or whatever it is that the family celebrates. Right. And, and I'm not sure that that's always true. I mean, I think sometimes it makes sense to split them up so that you're able to have kind of an ongoing tradition with your children. It's just not on every holiday. Correct. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, yeah, we think about that a lot. And the big holidays like Christmas and New Year's where each parent can pretty much get a week and they would alternate between the Christmas and the New Year's week would be good. Some of the smaller holidays don't lend themselves to that, like Thanksgiving, you know, because it really just starts Wednesday evening Mm -hmm. through Sunday. But I think that if the kids know there's going to be a sharing of the holidays, I think everyone's a lot better. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's really tough because extended families are involved also. So right. if you have extended families that celebrate different holidays or they, you know, emphasize different holidays, that's always obviously easier. Right. And then it becomes who's more religious, who 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 celebrates the religious holidays in each family. 
Yeah. Do you have any tips for people thinking about that, that that might make it easier? Yeah. Well, we try not to make it too hard for the children. So on these one-day holidays, we try not to split them, even though parents say, well, I want a couple of hours. You know, let the child be with one parent on a two-day holiday. It's a little different. Yeah. Well, it can be an awful lot of turkey, for example, for that's the kids. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, I'm having turkey in the morning and turkey in the yes, evening. Yes, yes. And I have turkey the next day because, you know, Aunt in my Sally own is family, here. In my own family, we, uh, you know, with my sister-in-laws or, or brother-in-laws, we've had that where, you know, different people show up for different holidays. And so that then you're, you're spreading it around? Is that what you're right, saying? Right, right. Yeah. So it's good. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really, really hard if there's one, you know, sometimes it's Christmas, right? It's like right. Christmas and it's Christmas morning and only one parent can be with there when right. the kids dance, come downstairs and see what Santa has brought, you know, and it's super painful. Yeah. I think it, it's very hard. Yeah. And do you think that for parents, what do you think parents can do on the holidays that they're not with their children to make it easier for themselves? Oh, I think that's hard. I think they got to have some plans, but it's very, very difficult. Yeah, like plans like to tr go on a trip or yes, like a cruise or to a to spa. So that you're not, yes. So, Lisa Goldweber, do you have any other mm -hmm. just general tips for parents as they think about about divorce and their kids, things that will keep their children, you know, more protected from the divorce process? Yeah, well, I think one of the things is for the parents to not try to enlist the kids on one of their sides, because I think that's just terrible. And we've had in different cases I've had, especially when I've been the attorney for the child, you know, where uh, one of the parents uh, tries to pick up the child from school with their own divorce attorney to talk to them. I mean, it's unbelievable, but that only happens very rarely. So can you give, so that's an example of how not to Bad do behavior. Right. Mm -hmm. What other kinds of things do people do that they shouldn't do? Well, I think they should try not to have as many fights as they do because the fights are really about nothing and understand that it is going to work out and you are going to live separate and apart and this will be over and your kids will be happier. What do you think that, I mean, the fighting, it's, I think what you're saying is the fighting really isn't about anything that important. So, no. So why do you think there's so much fighting? Because I think there's so much hostility and everyone doesn't totally understand. So the parents not only are getting separated and won't see their children at least 40% of the time, it's going to have a tremendous impact financially depending, you know, on who's the income earner. It's going to have a tremendous impact on the children. And I don't know in that moment when you're thinking of being divorced, do you really think about all those things? Yeah, I think it's a, it's such a process, isn't it, of like deciding to divorce and then experiencing the divorce negotiation and then starting right. to experience living separately and, and the whole coming apart process. I mean, I think it takes years to emotionally. Yeah, and whether there's enough money for everyone to live okay, what's the relative degree of education between the parents? So, you know, it's really interesting that I've had a number of people, really, I think women, Mm -hmm. Not all women, but, you know, who basically taken on being a parent as a career, you know, correct. and they've researched it and they take it very, very seriously. And oftentimes when that happens, and usually in those families, there's been a more traditional division of labor that 
parent feels really loath to let go of the job, right? Correct. The, the CEO of the family, right? That is correct because her job just disappears and it's very hard because she's not going to be in charge of the kids 100% of the time. And what should a woman like that be thinking about? Because I think it can feel really scary. You know, I've I think it must be so scary. And I guess what you want to do, depending upon their age and the age of the children, is perhaps get them interested in something they could have for themselves, career, education. Yeah, I think that the problem is that they sometimes feel like it's about the children's safety. Correct. And if I'm not there, then how sure will this, I know that they're yeah. going to be okay? And he can't remember to give them their umbrella and all. And basically, what you have to say that this is divorce and you're not going to be able. It's very upsetting, especially for women who've made and do a great job as mothers. Yeah. Have you ever had a client who did think of herself as the CFO of the family who made a yes. transition to something else? Can you give it an example about that? I think it's very hard, but we do encourage them to, you know, to spend a lot of time thinking about what they want. Because, you know, these children are 18 really quickly and they go to college and your job is just different. Even if you're in an intact marriage, your job's different once they start going to college. That is for sure. Mm -hmm. So, Elise Golova, we have a few seconds left and I'm wondering if you have any last sort of pieces of advice for people thinking or going through, thinking about divorce or going through it. Well, I think it's important when you're going through a divorce that you choose a lawyer or if you decide to go to mediation, someone who basically has the same values and sees the case similarly to to you. I mean, we try very hard in every case to settle them. There's some cases that are just unsettleable, and those you have to go to trial on. But, yeah. but thank God they're just a small minority. Yeah. Well, I think those are great words to finish on. Thank you, Elise Goldwell, thank for being you, our guest. Catherine. Take care. Okay. Bye.